But honestly, um, over the last two weeks, I've been just not great. Um, I'm tired of this year. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm, I feel weak. I feel like I can't do anything. Um, there's been a couple times in my life where I've felt this way, and it's very rare. Uh, so this is definitely, I can tell that 2020 is getting to me. Because the last time uh, that I felt the way that I feel now was in the aftermath of 9-11. Um, I was in college when uh, 9-11 hit. I was a junior, I was a hall kind of counselor guy, and uh, one of my freshmen came and got me. Um, and so I was there watching on television as the second uh, tower got hit and went down. Um, and that time was, you know, it was d- different than this time. But there, there, the thing that I, I've noticed in, internally that was it's so similar uh, was how helpless I felt um, when that happens. And the helplessness I've felt this year. I, I marvel at our church. I mean, we, I have stories of a lot of different leader guys who, whose people are just a complete mess. And as many times as I've made you mad or other people in this church have made you mad over this year, I, I've just been nothing but um, impressed by your commitment to unity, um, your commitment to each other and to the Lord. And even though we have differing opinions about so many different things this year, uh, I, I've been blown away by you. Um, you're, you're honestly what's giving me strength right now. Um, because I do. I feel helpless. I feel like there's nothing we can do. I can't control a virus. You know? And I, I don't know that anyone can. I don't know that there's a, a, a button out there that, you know, you can have power over nature. In fact, I think that um, in a lot of ways, one of the things God does from time to time is he allows things to come into our path to remind us that we're out of control. Because it's very human. It's very human for us to want to be strong. It's very human for us to want to be in control. It's human for us to want to be the ones who are shaping our destiny, shaping our lives. And we know that at like a micro level, there's, there's elements of that. There are things that I can control, right? But we also know, and we hate to be reminded of this, but from time to time it happens, there are also, there's, there are big things out there that you just can't do anything about. And I can't do anything about 2020. And I think as we, you know, this time of, of year where it's, it's like it's the, the coming of the Lord, the joy of Christmas, I think this year, I think more than anything, what we need is to be, is to be healed, to be comforted, to, be, to, to, to know that Jesus is with us, the Spirit is with us, that, that all the craziness around us, that, that, that God is sympathetic to our plight. God is with us in our plight. And we're going to see that today in our text. So we're going to start with, with Hebrews 4, and, and then we're going to um, get to the, the birth of the Lord. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I just want to point out a few things. It's very odd language. Passed through the heavens. In fact, some translations will just say ascended, but that's not the word that's used in Greek. It's because they're trying to help you understand what's going on. But that's not right. It's not that Jesus just ascended through the heavens. No, it's Jesus passed through the heavens. You you, kind of want to think of the heavens as not just um, like the sky, not even just space. In in the ancient world, the heavens was the the demarcation line between the world and the kingdom and the, the, the heaven of God and the world and the kingdom of us. Right? And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is he's saying Jesus... The eternal Son of God, the pre-existent Logos Son of God, the, 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 the second person of the Trinity, was, was living eternally um, in the realm of God, whatever that is. We call it heaven, uh, we can call it um, you know, God's throne room, but it's, it's, it's beyond, in many ways, space and time. It's not a part of this universe. Okay? And, and, and Jesus, the Son, exists eternally like that, but at a certain point, the Son passes through. He crosses over the line. That separates the kingdom, the world of God, and the world of humanity. Now, this transition is a difficult one. This is not just, uh, you're not just going from point A to B. Jesus is incarnating. He's coming into our universe as one of us. And as a result, he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Uh, the word weaknesses um, is actually, it's a great, it's a great trans, uh, a word because it has a wide semantic range in English. It can mean everything from, um, like, I'm, I'm not strong enough to do this. It can also be like, I have a weak, weakness for chocolate, right? Or in my case, carbs, right? Um, it can also be, I have a weakness, I'm unable to do something, right? I'm too weak to, I have a limitation, a weakness that, that says, I can't accomplish this. And, and it kind of has that entire, in Greek, the same way, um, asphania, has the same, um, the same kind of contours of its meaning. And, and the idea is that Jesus incorporates all of that. Okay? There, there, when, when Jesus becomes human, he's fully human. And so Jesus had a weakness for something. Probably not chocolate. Maybe Jesus' weakness was for power. Um, we know that that's one of the ways the devil tempts him. Right? Uh, maybe Jesus' weakness is uh, to see everything made right, but he can't do it the way he wants to. Maybe Jesus' weakness was, who knows, sexual temptation, whatever it was. Whatever you know, we experience as humans, our weaknesses, Jesus had them too. He had weaknesses for the desires of our appetites. And moreover, Jesus also had weaknesses in terms of limitations. Okay, imagine being eternal God. And then... You know, you'd know that, say, like, human beings can't fly, right? Like, well, God knows that. But in the incarnation, Jesus experiences that. There's something really visceral, really, um, really deep in, in the way that, that Jesus experiences. This is, this is the Lord of the universe, the, the one through whom all creation is made, and is suddenly now in, you know, six-pound, four-ounce baby swaddling clothes. This is Jack Barsky. Jack Barsky is the world's worst spy. He was uh, born in uh, 1949 in East Germany, he lived his entire life uh, up through college um, in East Germany. He was recruited by the Stasi 
and ultimately the KGB, and he decided to become a deep cover agent in the United States. And so in, uh, from 1973 to 1977, he went through years, five years of extensive, five, four years, five, no, it's five because 78. He went through five years of extensive undercover training. He went from not knowing a lick of English or very broken English to being fluent to the point that no one could tell that he ever, that he was born German. Uh, they even had like a, a, a Russian, uh, an American woman who'd married a Russian work with him for two years to, to change the, the, the intonations of his voice so he would sound like a New Yorker. He was trained in all the KGB tradecraft. He knew how to, you know, do drop-off points and, or dead drops or whatever. He, he knew how to send coded mes- messages. Finally, in 1978, he's inserted in the country through Canada. Or through Mexico, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the Russians give him a fake passport um, and papers. He comes in through Mexico, uh, goes to New York City, and begins life. His job is to get as close to Jimmy Carter as possible. In 10 years as a KGB agent, the man accomplishes virtually nothing. He, I think at one point he was working for MetLife. And he gave some computer code to the Soviets. But for all intents and purposes, this guy was a total failure. Like, he didn't get close to anybody, and he tried to cash out on it. He wrote a book about being deep undercover. And he makes himself sound like he's a big deal. But big deal guys, they, they you know, <clears throat> excuse me, they get, uh, like, nuclear, you know, secrets. Uh, MetLife programming code? Kind of low level there, man. What was the problem? Well, he admits it in his book. He says, um, I was too East German to fit in. See, uh, he'd grown up in the Cold War um, in East Germany, and he was used to a world in which everyone was hiding secrets. Everyone was afraid of the government. Everyone was working as best they could not to get you know, outed, not to get um, tortured, not to get arrested. And he assumed that that was exactly how Americans lived. He lived in a world where if someone started accusing you of something, you went back hard at them. You were brusque, angry, aggressive. And even in New York, that didn't work very well with Americans. It turns out that Americans are basically kind of open people. Not a lot, I mean, kind of leaving it out on the, I mean, in general. Americans weren't running around scared that their government was going to arrest them. Americans didn't like it when you started yelling at them when they asked you an uncomfortable question. When he passed from East Germany into the United States, he wasn't able to make the transition. He wasn't able to give up, you know, that life. And, and the weaknesses of that life didn't translate into the weaknesses of this life. And so he ended up being a failure. Jesus does something similar. He comes from the kingdom of God, the realm of God, into our world. But he is able to fully assimilate. To become fully like us. So that there's no place where we uh, uh, are that Jesus isn't also. And so when we're talking about a, sympathy, a sympathetic Savior, the first thing we can say is that by becoming fully human, Jesus becomes fully familiar with our weakness and weaknesses. Every bit of us. And it literally starts 
at the very beginning of his story. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax lists. This first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage, and who was pregnant. <laughs> Anyone know how far it is from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem? We've got to take a trip to Israel so we can find out. 90 miles. It's 90 miles. Um, and uh, it's really hilly, rocky terrain, uh, mountains and, you know, clefts and whatnot. And uh, it turns out that in the you know, ancient world, you, they didn't have taxis. They didn't have Uber. Um, there were no planes. And really, very few people owned horses um, or donkeys. In fact, probably Mary and Joseph didn't. Um, and so the, 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 a person who pushed themselves in the ancient world could cover about 20 miles a day, right, if you really w- worked for it. Um, that would get you from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem in, you know, four to five days, right? Now, Mary is uh, very, very pregnant. She's not just pregnant. She's pregnant. She's, she's Kira Preston pregnant. She's ready to go. So that slows down her travel time probably a little bit, right? So she's, she's maybe, Mary and Joseph are making 10 miles a day if they're pushing. And I, I just, you know, you can just imagine what it must have been like for what the conversations they were having as they're, they're going up, you know, rocky, rocky roads up into the mountains and then coming down again as Joseph's kind of holding her and she's really like, I hope, this, I hope it doesn't happen right now. I hope it doesn't happen. And she's probably thinking, man, We've got a really great emperor. Thank you, Caesar. Thank you. I know it's so important for you to have your tax lists updated. And it's just such a blessing to be on the road so that you can tax us more um, in, 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 this, in this hour. And Quirinius, our governor, you really timed this well. I am so grateful for your caring you know, oversight of our circumstances. No, actually, it's probably the opposite. They were probably cursing the emperor and the governor all the way from one place to the next because they were probably very well prepared to give birth. And then suddenly news comes, nope, sorry, you got to tra- travel 90 miles. Hope it doesn't happen this week. It's going to take you, you know, 7 to 14 days. Um, hope everything turns out all right. <clears throat> They're probably sitting there being like, we have a, we have a, this is tyranny. Why should we have to do this? It's good this would never happen in the United States of America. It's one of the nice things about having a constitution is that uh, we're, um, we're, we're immune to this sort of, you know, the government does what the government does and it doesn't normally affect us. It doesn't change what we do. Crazy thing happened this morning. I, I looked at my phone and, and I, I got a couple screenshots of stuff that I saw. Um, first, I was checking my, my trashy entertainment uh, at Deadline.com. And, and I saw this. It's official. COVID-19 lockdown starts Sunday, 11.59 p.m. You got about 12 hours. Uh, ICU capacity drops dramatically. Cases surge. You can see I went to the, uh, the OC COVID website and we had 2,000 cases uh, received yesterday. 1,600 deaths. 
Now, I don't envy Gavin Newsom his job um, because I, I think probably, you know, I think he's probably trying to do the best he can. He doesn't want to be the governor who, like, oversees a huge bunch of cases without him doing something, right? He doesn't want to be that guy because then he's going to get pilloried in the, in the media. And so he does the best that he can. He's well, as governor, I've got to protect the people, and so I'm going to do this lockdown. Um, and uh, this is my brother-in-law, Robert. I, uh, he, he's surrounded by women. It's his job in the salon. He, he's just down the road, uh, Ailey Alexander Salon on Rancho uh, Viejo Road. Robert, um, I texted him. He said he's okay with this. He... Um, <laughs> he's already been uh, out of work for uh, four months this year. And uh, the next three weeks are his uh, most lucrative, uh, the most lucrative weeks of, of his year. And uh, they're, they're not happening any, anymore because um, the, uh, the lockdown's for three weeks. It goes all the way through Christmas. Apparently, ladies like to have their you know, hair done really well um, before uh, going to Christmas events, and so he gets a lot of business. In fact, he's working t- today. Um, he already started working. He's going to be working a 14-hour day all the way up until 11.59 p.m. Um, so that he can try to make enough money to, uh, to get through um, Christmas with his kids. And I don't think that Gavin Newsom has any particular ire for Robert. I don't think that he wants this to happen to Robert. Um, but that's the crazy thing about being a person in power is that, you know, you have to make decisions and those decisions have consequences. Going on in the text, here's some consequences. While they were there, the time for Mary, came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him in strips of cloth. I, you know, the, the traditional translation, swaddling clothes, has the wrong connotation. I'm a big fan of blankets. Blankets are a big deal in our household. Um, I like the really, really soft, fluffy ones. And the problem with them is that over time, if you wash them, I would say, more than ten times, they start to lose that really rabbity feel. Um, I like being, feeling like I'm bathed in rabbits when I wrap myself in it. And so what's happened over the years is we've just, we've just accumulated like thousands of blankets in our house. Because after 10 washes, I'm done. I have to go to Costco, go to that one row where they've got pillows and blankets. It's only $20. Why wouldn't I? And then I get my new blanket. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. That's not strips of cloth. The swaddling clothes, that's not, that is a bad way to translate uh, this word. It is strips of cloth. Um, probably uh, cloth, uh, you know, from just refuse, like torn into strips and wrapped around the child so the child can't move, right? Um, this is not, we're not talking Costco soft blanket. This is bad news blanket. And laid him in a manger. A manger is a bad word because no one knows what a manger is. In fact, I grew up thinking that manger meant, like, cradle. No! <laughs> Jesus was not laid in a cradle. He was laid where the, the donkeys and the cows drank or ate because there's no place for him in the lodgings. Uh, we think that he was probably either in, probably in a cave uh, of some, uh, some sort on the outskirts of town um, that where the the innkeepers, the, the lodging places, you know, kept their animals. And so Jesus was born into the smell of refuse and gross. I mean, I don't want... Reed, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, man. 
I know that you've got a sweet nativity scene in your house somewhere, and it's very cute. And I'm for that. But what actually happened was not cute. It was bad. This is a European starling. It's a beautiful bird. Gorgeous. Um, I don't know much about birds, but I read about the European starling. The European starling uh, is from Europe, (laughs) not native to North America. Came to the United States, came to North America in 1890. There was this guy named Schieffler. He was like Edward Schieffler or something. But he uh, he was a conservationist and also a big Shakespeare fan. And so he was reading, people used to do this, he was reading Henry V one day. You know, looking, he lived in New York, he was overlooking Central Park, he had a really nice apartment, he was wealthy. And he's reading Henry V, and he's looking at Central Park, where all they've got are pigeons, the scourge of the skies. And he's like, and he's, there's a line in Henry V that says something like, and the starlings, you know, flit from twig to twig. And he's like, man, sure would be nice to have a pretty bird here. Instead of these awful pigeons. So he went to his buddies at the Conservation Society in New York. And he was like, hey, why don't we have Starling? Everyone should be able to experience what it's like to be British. And to be in a Shakespeare play. We should have Starlings in America. And they thought, Starlings look great. Way better than the pigeons. Let's do it, man. And so they imported 60 Starlings the first year, 1690. 40 Starlings uh, the next year, 1891. And now, in the United States of America, there are 200 million European starlings. 130 years. Turns out European starlings are really, really, really good at uh, procreating and eating bugs. And also cow feed. And also pig feed. And also goat feed. In fact, every year, European starlings cost the United States of America, or farmers in America, $800 million in lost, in lost crops and in lost uh, uh, livestock. But they look great. Unintended consequences, right? Schieffler, he just wanted to see some nice birds. and You walk through Central Park. You don't have to look at those awful rats in the sky anymore. You can see something that looks nice. And, oh, by the way, they think that the starling's also responsible for the extinction of at least three other bird species in North America because it's better at eating than they are. (laughs) Wow. He was just trying to conserve, trying to make America beautiful. Jesus Jesus gets born um, in the ultimate weakness in total uh, totally subject to the authorities totally uh, you know surrounded by horribleness um, absolute weakness why because Caesar needed to update the tax lists Jesus begins life in weakness due to the unintended consequences of Caesar's census Well, it turns out, though, that the law of unintended consequences is not always bad. We may not always know what's going to happen because of what we do, but sometimes the results are not just bad, but also good. And and take a look at at this text. This is interesting. This is Micah 5. This is the Old Testament. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small amongst the clans of Judah, 
That's of all the clans of Israel, the 12 tribes. Out of you will come from, for me one who will be the ruler of Israel. His origins are from old, from ancient times, uh, from eternity, you might even say. Caesar needs to update his tax lists, whatever. What this does, though, is it forces the incarnation of God to come into a place of severe weakness, severe limitation, severe, uh, severe suffering, to the point that Jesus is fully aware of what it's like for us right now. Maybe worse. Jesus knows what it's like. We've had, uh, several, we've had at least one family I can think of move away during the COVID crisis. I know that there are others of you who are thinking about it. Um, we've had uh, economic devastation in some quarters here in this, cur- in this church. We've also had economic uh, boom <laughs> for others. Uh, all totally random, um, because, just because of the different things that are happening with COVID. And yet, and yet, somehow Jesus is able to sympathize with all of that because, because Caesar needed to get the census done. And in so doing, without even realizing it, Caesar is taking part in the, the coming of the, of the Son of God and the predictions, the prophecies of the Old Testament. The prophecies of the Old Testament say, oh, this terrible little village of David is going to be the one where the, the ruler of the world, the ruler of Israel, the one from ancient times is coming. And it happened all because of the taxes. And as a result of that, go back to our original text in Hebrews, Hebrews 4, listen to this at the very end. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I told you, I'm, I'm tired of this year. I'm tired of feeling like I can't do anything. I'm tired of feeling like no matter what we do, it's going to have unintended consequences, some good and some bad. I'm tired of worrying about being sued for being in this sanctuary. I'm tired of worrying about someone coming here and and getting sick and dying and feeling there's nothing I can do. But then I look at this story where Quirinius, the governor of Syria, follows an order from the emperor. And as a result of that, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God, the second person of the Trinity incarnate in a human flesh, that being knows and sympathizes with every limitation, every loss, every failure. For those who struggle with addiction, the weakness to whatever it is that you're addicted to. For those who are obsessed with, you know, weak to the desire for power or for money or for status or, or for sex or whatever it is, like, Jesus gets it. He knows how hard it is. 
And he went through it. He passed through the heavens once, but he also went back up and he passed through the heavens. And now he's seated in, in, in heaven at the right hand of the Father, fully glorified. And, and he's on our behalf. He's the one saying to, to, to the Father, whenever we're in distress, whenever we're in need, he's saying, Father, have mercy. Have grace on these people. Send it in the power of your spirit. Send them grace. Send them the mercy they need to get through day, this day and the next day and the next day and the next day to build them up. I know what they're going through, and God, have mercy for them. Have grace to help in the time of need. One of my favorite um, spiritual authors is uh, Henry Nouwen. He... Um, I don't know about all of his theology. He was a Catholic priest, and he believes some stuff that I, I, I don't. But one thing that he um, really hit, um, he, he, was, uh, he was gay and celibate. And he shared that at the end of his life uh, with his, his close friends, that he'd um, had same-sex attraction but had never you know, acted on it. But it had caused a great deal of uh, loneliness in his life. Um, but what he said was he said... Um, I know that Jesus experienced this loneliness too in the Garden of Gethsemane. I know that he experienced uh, lowliness um, in his birth. And so he has grace for me. And because he has grace for me, then in my loneliness, in my isolation, in my lowliness, I can give grace to others. That my wounds can heal. Just as Jesus' wounds healed me, my wounds can be used to heal others. If you're feeling weak this year, if you're feeling inadequate, helpless, if you're frustrated, whatever your weakness is, you're, you're attempted to this thing that's, that's destroying you and ruling you. Whatever it is, Jesus knows that weakness. And he's with you in your suffering. And ultimately, he's beckoning you to have grace to heal these wounds from him and to share these wounds to heal others. And so I'm asking all of us, as hard as it is, let's step out from our weakness Let's open it up to those who are near us and boldly proclaim before the throne of God that there is grace and mercy in these times of need. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, the incarnate one, eternal God in human flesh, who passed through the heavens and so knows the limitations and the weaknesses fully in the most intimate way. Who came at the whims of a governor in deprivation 
and privation. Who died, who was buried, and then who ascended in power and now sits at your throne, God, at your right hands, pleading on our behalf that you'd send your spirit in mercy and grace in our time of need. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. We worship you as the one who knows our pain, who knows our weakness, and by your spirit sends us grace and mercy. Holy Spirit, giver of life, may you empower us in our weakness to be wounded healers to those around us, all those who've been kicked in the teeth over and over by this year, who fear government, who fear viruses, who fear division and strife, who yearn for reconciliation and hope. Holy Spirit, be life and hope through us to them. In our wounds, may we heal. Father God, we put all these things before your throne in the name of the one who represents us, Jesus. Amen.